Uh, so we're going to be studying this week's parasha, Titzaveh. It was last week's parasha. And try to understand um, what further ideas are being introduced to us uh, that go beyond or extend or build upon what we learned about in Parashat Zerumah. Because in Parashat Zerumah we already learned about the Mishkan. And we spoke in detail last week about the idea of the Mishkan and bringing God's presence into the world in a way that doesn't in any way diminish Hashem or dilute the sanctity of our concept of Hashem, but at the same time allows us some access and connection to Hashem so that we can relate to Him and, uh, and approach Him and understand Him to the extent of our ability without in any way uh, falling into the trap of idolatry or uh, without losing sight of the, uh, the distance that there is between us and Hashem. But that really the Mishkan is so significant, or the Bet HaMikdash really is so significant because it represents the achievement of the purpose of the Jewish people, which is to sanctify God's name in the world, to bring attention and consciousness of Hashem to the entire world. That was the purpose for which the Jewish people were uh, created from the times of Abraham Avinu. That was the dream to have a nation that would bring the name of God to the consciousness of the people, all the nations of the world. And so the the building of the Mishkan, the reason why, as I had mentioned in last week's Shi'ur, the reason why the Mishkan or the Bet HaMikdash is so significant in Jewish history, not only in Jewish history, but in the dreams and the aspirations of all of the, uh, of everybody up to the point where the Mishkan is built and up to the point where the Bet HaMikdash is built. David HaMelech is yearning to build the Bet HaMikdash. Everything revolves around that and the destruction of Israel is not complete until the Bet HaMikdash is destroyed because that represents really the loss of everything, the failure of the mission. Um, at least temporarily. So the bit, the bit, the Mikdash, that's why we still have Tisha B'Av today, even though we have a sovereign state in the land of Israel, we have Tisha B'Av because we don't have a bit, the Mikdash, which means that we're not really fulfilling the purpose for which the political base of Israel was created. It was created to be a platform for uh, Hashem's name to be recognized in the world. So that's what we talked about last week and why that's so, so important. But this week, really, we're going to talk about Parashat Tetzaveh, which is the next parasha. And the interesting thing about Parashat Tetzaveh, I mentioned it on Shabbat. It's one of the famous observations everybody makes about Parashat Tetzaveh, which is that the name of Moshe Rabbeinu was the first time since the book, since the book of Shemot began, that there's a, and, and until the end of the Torah, meaning for four out of the five books of the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu is around, this is the only parasha that doesn't mention his name even once. And uh, the um, it's interesting, it's ironic that that's the case maybe, because if you look at what the content of Parashat Tetzaveh is, it's very human content. Uh, as opposed to Parashat Tzumah, you can read through Parashat Tzumah and you'll notice that there's in, there are instructions um, directing how the Mishkan is to be built, but it's rather impersonal. Really, it speaks about Moshe Rabbeinu understanding and being able to conceive of and 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 uh, imagine what the Mishkan is supposed to look like and to convey these instructions to the Jewish people, to collect from them trauma, to collect from them the materials and the contributions that are going to be necessary to make this Mishkan a reality. But the role of human beings is not very evident in Parashat, uh, uh, Parashat Trauma. Very little is said about their human role in the Mishkan. The Parashat Tetzaveh, by, by contrast, is really very much about the human role 
uh, in the Mishkan. And it's, it's, uh, it focuses on the Kohanim. The Kohanim are kind of like the engine that makes the Mishkan function. In fact, the, uh, the way that the Rambam, Maimonides, when he talks about the laws of the, uh, of the Kohanim, he entitles that section the laws of the uh, Klei HaMikdash, the laws of the vessels of the Mikdash, and those who serve in it, meaning that the, the Kohanim that serve in the Bet HaMikdash are like Kelim, they are like vessels. In fact, there's a saying, there's a phrase that they used to call rabbis and, and Chazanim, the people who officiated at the service, they would call them Klei Kodesh, they are the vessels of, of holiness because they're the ones that do the service, they run the service. So in the same way, the Kohanim, but I mean, on a much higher level, the Kohanim were the Klei Kodesh. They were the sanctified vessels. They were serving in the Beit HaMikdash. This parasha focuses uh, almost exclusively on the Kohanim. So that's a contrast with Parashat Truma, where we don't really see much about the human element. Aside from the collection in the beginning of Parashat Truma, the collection of the materials, we don't again see mention of the uh, of even the human role in constructing the Mishkan. It's implicit that human beings are the ones who are going to be building the Mishkan, but it doesn't focus on them. Whereas here, it specifically refers to them and says that those who are, are, are the chachme, that the, uh, the people who are the wise people are going to, are, are going to make, the, it's, it says, um, Speak to all those who are wise of heart, with whom you have filled the spirit of wisdom, uh, in whom you have spilled, filled the spirit of wisdom. It mentions the wise of heart, the people who are going to be involved in the designing of these, uh, of the, of the uh, uniform of the, of the Kohanim. So there's an emphasis on the human element here that we don't find in Truma an emphasis too much on the, uh, on, on, uh, beyond the materials, on the human beings who are going to be involved in the, uh, in the construction of the Mishkan. Here, not only do we see that, the, uh, that human beings are the focus in the sense that the, the clothing is going on human beings, but we also see that there's even an emphasis on the human beings who are going to be creating the, those clothes, calling them chachmei lev, they're wise, they're the ones that Hashem is filled with the spirit of wisdom. So this is a change, a very clear contrast from last par- week's parashat to this week's parashat. And I had suggested on Shabbat that perhaps that's part of the reason, and we're going to see that that's part of the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu recedes to the background here and is not as prominent because the focus is so much on the Kohanim and, uh, and the, uh, but that itself we have to explore. What's happening in Parashat Titzaveh when we look at the Kohanim and how they are singled out, it says, you should bring to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from amongst the Bnei Yisrael to serve me. Lechahanoli, to serve as Kohanim. Aaron, Nadav, Avihu, Alazav, Itamar, Bnei Aaron. These are the four sons of Aaron originally. You should make uh, clothing for Aaron, your brother. Lechavod, Ulatifaret. For glory and for splendor. For honor and for splendor. Where do we find ever that we glorify a person, that we dress them up in fancy clothing. We don't find this anywhere in the Torah. We don't know what Moshe Rabbeinu wore. We don't know what Avram Avinu wore. We don't know what Avram Avinu looked like. 
We never focus on external appearance in the Torah. We don't have much information about the characters in the Torah, what they looked like, what their external appearance was. Generally speaking, except occasionally it'll tell us, oh, one of the people was very good looking, Yosef was very good looking, Imaot, very beautiful. But it doesn't give us any details about what that means. It's a very general statement. So here to design uh, elaborate clothing for elaborate pageantry and to say the chavod that it is in order to glorify and to, uh, to grant splendor to the, uh, the Kohanim, it sounds very unusual. And even the Ramban and also Rabbeinu Bachaya says here, that we want the Kohen to be glorified with very honorable clothing. That he should be like a Chatan who is wearing uh, glorious clothing. Says the Ramban. The Ramban says that these, this clothing is a clothing of, kingdom, of kingship. It's royal clothing. This is how the kings would dress at the time of the Torah. And so on and so forth. He gives example. But the point is that the Ramban is even doubling down on this idea that, uh, that we, when we look at the Kohen, the Kohen is being like made into a king. And it's very interesting, and I think I mentioned last week also, that we know that when Achashverosh is described, he's described with uh, the same language as the Kohen Gadol's clothing and the Kohen Gadol's presence is, is, uh, is described to us here. That's how, the, that's how Achashverosh is described. And the rabbis say that he was wearing the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and he was using the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. In other words, he was trying to be the Kohen Gadol. But what does that show you? That shows you that there's something stately and royal about the Kohen Gadol. That's exactly what the Ramban says is the pshat, is the simple meaning of what the chavod ulatifaret. Now, some of the other commentaries uh, take it differently. And even the Ramban um, comes back and says... That really, and, and he goes through each one of the, uh, each one of the big day kehuna, the Ramban goes through each one of the, uh, different, uh, garments of the Kohen Gadol and set, and shows how really they all in one way or another are, uh, are, uh, royal kinds of clothing and that you can find that some kind of an analog, something similar in the, in the clothing of kings. Uh, for every one of the big day kehuna of the Kohen Gadol, you can find something in the clothing of the kings of the time of the Torah that would be an analogy to it. But then at the end, he says, that not that the lechavod ulatifaret doesn't mean that the clothing is to glorify the Kohen and make him into somebody that is glorious and is elevated and is superior. But what it means is that he's glorifying Hashem. So the question is, of course, if that's the true meaning, and that's actually how the Seforno, another famous commentary, says that, uh, that really lechavod ulatifaret is referring to the honor of Hashem. It's not, uh, it's not referring to the honor of the Kohen. So why did the Ramban go to such lengths to describe how the different, uh, the different uh, garments worn by the Kohen Gadol are really, in one way or another, borrowed from the garments of a great king? Why, why would he bother doing that if in the end he's going to come back and say, no, uh, really the kavod and the tiferet is the honor and the glory and the splendor that is being rendered to God through the Kohen Gadol. 
not that we're, I, we're saying that the Kohen Gadol is, is to be glorified. So w- which one is it? Is the question. Why does Ramban say both of these ideas? And which one is correct? Do we have to choose one over the other one? Um, and e- even the even Ezra says, what does the Chavot Tifaret mean? Because nobody else is allowed to wear them except the Kohen Gadol. They're exclusive garments. So again, that is making the Kohen Gadol special. So is it making the Kohen Gadol special or is it reflecting the, 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 the greatness of God? It seems like you can't have both. How can you say that both are true? How can you say that the Kohen Gadol is being glorified and is being set, as, set apart from everyone else and at the same time say, no, 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 it really means that you're glorifying God. Now, the, uh, interestingly, there's a pasuk here that the rabbis read into uh, with great attention. It says, and I read the pasuk quickly before, but it ends by saying, that it says you should sanctify through these bigadim, through these, this clothing, you will sanctify him to serve me. And Rashi says here, through the kohanim, through the bigadim, through the clothing, he becomes a kohen. And that's actually the halacha. The halacha is that if a kohen serves without the bigadim, it's as if he were a non-kohen. If he's now wearing the proper vestments when he engages in the service of the Beit HaMikdash, he's not considered like a non-kohen did the service. It's a very severe penalty for that. So the kohen gadol is required to wear these, this outfit whenever he serves. It's not optional. It's not something that he does because it makes him feel good or it helps him focus on his work. It's something that he uh, that is a mitzvah. And he's, it's almost like he's not considered a kohen when he's not wearing this clothing. That's why it says that uh, it's what renders him a Kohen, is that he's wearing these garments. So what is the idea of, the, uh, of this whole emphasis, this shift in emphasis away from the Bet HaMikdash itself or the Mishkan itself onto Kohanim and this unusual role that the Bigadim play? And we know that later on in the parasha, also the consecration of the Kohanim, it takes up about half of the parasha. Um, the latter half of the parasha is taken up with the actual uh, instructions that are given for consecrating Kohanim and, uh, and initiating them in their role. So th- what, is the, what is the role that the, uh, what is the purpose that these Begadim serve? And what is the problem, you could say? What is the problem? What is the issue that these Begadim are addressing? And so I think from what we've already said, this, it says, you know, when you ask questions, a lot of times half of the answer is, is already in the, in the question. That the problem that is posed by Kohanim is the problem that we see in Achashverosh, actually, which is perhaps why Achashverosh was trying to imitate a Kohen Gadol. That the problem is the emphasis and the attention given to the individual human being feeds into a kind of a celebrity, the psychology of, of, of celebrities, that people seek celebrities, they seek human beings to place on a pedestal and to, uh, to make those human beings larger than life in their minds. And this natural human tendency would, of course, attach itself to uh, people like the Kohen Gadol, people like Moshe Rabbeinu. We see that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he leaves, and, and perhaps we'll speak about this next week when we talk about Parashat Kitisa, that when he goes up on the mountain and he comes back and the people have made an Egel Azav, they made a golden calf because they saw Moshe Rabbeinu as larger than life. They were relying on him. They were really depending on him for their sense of security. And when he was gone, they were not able to rely on Hashem alone. They, they saw Moshe Rabbeinu as almost an embodiment of Hashem. They made him into someone who was even greater than he was. 
And so this is the danger that is inherent in any kind of a, a role like this of Kohanim, where there's a special role. On one hand, you have to select people for the role that are uniquely qualified. But on the other hand, it lends itself to the possibility that they will be placed on a pedestal, that they will become the center of attention, they will become the focus, they will attain a certain celebrity status. And wearing the bigadim, wearing this clothing, wearing the vestments of the Kohen Gadol, and saying that a Kohen may not wear anything other than the vestments that he's supposed to wear when he's doing it, actually is designed not to give honor to the Kohen himself as an individual. Because if he wanted attention and honor as an individual, he would go get the fanciest designer suits and he would go get the fanciest designer jewelry and other kinds of, uh, uh, other kinds of accessories to show himself off. He doesn't do that. He does wear beautiful clothing. He does wear glorious clothing. But this glorious clothing is a standard clothing that's done as a mitzvah. It's not something that expresses his personal style. It's not something that is supposed to draw attention to him as an individual, to the, his individuality, but actually it's something that expresses his role. And one of the things I had mentioned on Shabbat is that pretty much every one of the Kohen Gadol's vestments, his garments, in one way or another actually diminish or downplay his individuality and emphasize that he belongs to the community. He belongs, actually, to the Jewish people. For example, the ephod, first of all, the sort of uh, apron that he wears. So it, it has on it, on the two straps, what does it have? It has stones on either side, and then the stones are engraved the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Six on one side, six on the other side. Then, of course, he wears the breastplate in the front, which we know very famously has the names of all the shvatim, of all of the uh, tribes on it. And then we see that, you know, uh, and, and then after that, we see that he has on his head a, uh, a, a headband that indicates, you know, it says, Kodesh Lashem, holy to Hashem. And we know that he has on the bottom of his coat bells that wherever he goes, he's always going to be noticed and he's always going to be heard. He can never have privacy as long as he's the Kohen Gadol. He belongs to the nation. He belongs to his service, to his role. And when a person wears a uniform like that, it takes away their individuality, not in order to demean them, God forbid, not like the way that a prisoner is placed in a, in a certain type of a uniform to remove their individuality and to subordinate them, subject them to the, uh, you know, to the jailer's will. Not that kind of a removal of individuality, but a, another kind of removal of individuality, which is the ra- raising up of the person to a higher purpose where his individuality or her individuality becomes subordinate to something higher, not where they become lower by removing themselves from their individuality, but from their individuality becoming insignificant because they're at the service, their energy is placed at the service of a higher goal. So when a a team member wears a jersey of the team, when a police officer wears a uniform or military officer wears a uniform, a judge wears the robes of a judge, whatever it is, all of these kinds of outfits remind the person that they are something that in the moment that they're wearing those garments, in the moment they're dressed like that, they're involved in something bigger than themselves. It's not about them as an individual or drawing attention 
to anything specific about their personality, their interests, their biases, their likes, dislikes, or anything like that. That should not be the focus. The focus is on the purpose that they serve, the role that they're filling. And, um, and that's really what the Big Day Kehuna are, uh, are meant to reflect. That's why the, every aspect of the Big Day Kehuna, yes, it, it is glorious. And yes, the Big Day Kehuna are beautiful and they are, they, are, they are possessed of splendor and radiance and they're amazing and they're incredible. But the purpose of all of that, embedded in all that, worked into all of that, is not an emphasis on the wearer of the uh, of the big day kehuna. It's not an emphasis on the individual who's fulfilling the role of Kohen Gadol. The emphasis that the is pointing towards the Jewish people and towards Hakadosh Baruch Hu, towards Hashem that is being glorified and sanctified through the service of the Kohen Gadol. That is the emphasis of the Bigadim. So on one hand, the Bigadim are glorious and beautiful, and at the same time, the glory and the beauty is not supposed to accentuate anything about the individual wearing them. And I had mentioned uh, also that um, the Bigadim Kehuna can only be worn, they're only allowed to be worn during the time that the Kohen Gadol is serving in his office as Kohen Gadol. He's not allowed to like, go walk around in the street wearing the Bigadim Kehuna. Neither are the other Kohanim allowed to walk around wearing the Bigadim Kehuna when they're not on duty. They have to be on duty to be wearing them. In other words, otherwise it would diminish the significance of those Bigadim. They would go out to the coffee shop wearing a Bigadim Kehuna. They would get special discounts, whatever. It would become something about their personal interest. It would not be something that reminded them that they needed to put aside their personal interest for a higher, uh, for a higher aim. And that's really what all the Kohen Gadol, the laws of the Kohen Gadol, the laws of the regular Kohen, they all revolve around this idea of downplaying the individuality of the Kohen and emphasizing his dedication to a higher purpose. The same thing goes with who he's allowed to marry and what he does in a situation where someone passes away in his family. That in, in all those cases, he has to craft his life and even his interpersonal relationships are uh, take a second uh, uh, you know, a uh, secondary position relative to his goal or relative to his mission as a uh, as a kohen, and especially the kohen gadol, that even for his own immediate relatives doesn't leave the bet Mikdash to become tamei or to mourn for them, because he is totally the uh, he's totally uh, de-individualized, if you will. Now, what does that mean? So, so how do we see? So, going back to the original question that the Ram, that we asked about what the Ramban says, and many of the commentaries say that this glorifying of the Kohen Gadol seems to be. On one hand, the Ramban expands upon how the uh, the the kingliness and the royal quality of the Big Day Kehuna are are elevating the Kohen Gadol, putting him on a pedestal like a king. At the same time, he goes back and says, "No, no, no! It's really glorifying Hashem." And it's not really glorifying the Kohen Gadol. So which one is it? How could it be both? So the answer, I think, is that what is real greatness? See, people uh, try to project an image of greatness by convincing others to focus on elements of them that they think they can, uh, that they think in one way or another, um, will uh, buy them more attention or buy them more honor or get them uh, uh, you know greater accolades in the in the eyes of of the people around them they'll take something that they think is very impressive about themselves and they want to showcase it they want to broadcast it maybe it's their wealth maybe it's how smart they are maybe it's uh, anything whatever maybe it's their talents of some kind of talent that they have maybe it's their looks 
whatever it is, they will try to grab the attention of others uh, in order to be glorified in their in their eyes by drawing attention to the elements of themselves that they believe are worthy of praise, or that they believe will earn them praise in the eyes of uh, other people. That type of kavod and that type of tiferet we don't find in the Kohen Gadol. The type of the type of glory that he has is the glory of the big day kehunah that actually point away from him, not towards him. But what does that show you? That shows you what is a great person. What is a great person? Is a great person somebody who impresses other people and receives honor from other people for the greatness that he already possesses, for some great, uh, some amazing trait that he has, some amazing talent for his looks, for his wealth. Uh, is that really what a great person is? Or is a great person, and this is really what the Kohen Gadol is supposed to teach us, that a great person is somebody who is dedicated to the greatest purpose of all, the purpose of serving God, the purpose of sanctifying God's name in the world. That's what makes the person a king. That's what makes the person an incredible person, a person who is worthy of accolades, a person who is worthy of being put on a pedestal, so to speak. That is a person who is fully devoted to a purpose that is transcendent, that transcends his petty interests, that transcends his narrow focus and his narrow perspective, the perspective that most of us has. Uh, ha, you know, most of us have a perspective that is very limited and is very self-focused. This going gadol is giving of himself something higher, something greater. And that is what makes him great. So it's actually the irony is that, uh, that our, we tend to think that by guarding our own honor and trying to cultivate an image and trying to prop ourselves up in the eyes of other people and making ourselves bigger than we really are, that's how we're going to earn the respect and the honor uh, and the praise of others. But actually, it's the opposite, that when a person does that, they almost always will fail ultimately to win any praise or any honor because it will be seen as hollow and empty and false and fake. But when a person lets go of their own smallness and devotes themselves to something truly great and truly honorable and truly noble, then they become a king. By letting go of their own ego and by letting go of the focus on themselves and investing their energies in something greater than themselves, that's how they actually become great. And that's what the Kohen Gadol, I think, is showing us. That's what the Ramban, the, the two explanations of the Ramban, which we see reflected in the explanations of many of the commentaries here. Um, it, they're not really contradictory. He is like a king. He is a great person. He is someone who's being placed on a pedestal. He is someone who is royal. But what makes him royal is the opposite of what most people think. It's not by trying to exaggerate his own greatness. It's actually by devoting himself to the greatness of God and devoting his energies to a transcendent purpose of sanctifying the name of God. That's what actually makes him great. That's what actually makes him a superior human being, not uh, what most of us imagine would make us superior, not what would might persuade a simpleton to believe. Uh, the ability to persuade people who are who are simple and who are uh, superficial, uh, convince them that we're great doesn't mean anything. It's like uh, if you, you could convince a, a five-year-old that you're really good at math because you can do division and multiplication. That doesn't mean that, uh, that doesn't mean you're really great at math. That just means that you chose an audience that is uh, dazzled by something which is a minor feat. But true greatness 
is someone who puts themselves their their own interest aside and, and devotes themselves to something higher. And we know that. We know that the people that are most admired and are most respected are the people who made sacrifices and accomplished tremendous things that were beyond their own personal interest. The people who just enriched themselves and sought their own glory and honor, nobody really deep down respects them. It's the people who would devote themselves to a higher cause that earn the uh, respect of others and are really seen as kings. In fact, the Gemara says, Man malchei rabbanan, who are the kings? The Chachamim. The Chachamim are kings because they are the ones who really have a superiority, not because of some superficial advantage that they have over other people, but because they've devoted themselves to something that is truly great, which is the wisdom of God. And, um, and when we, we look at uh, the famous story of David HaMelech, famous story of David HaMelech, when they bring the Aaron, they bring the uh, the Ark of the Covenant to Yerushalayim, and he goes and he's dancing like crazy and wildly in front of everybody, and uh, he comes home after this big dedication ceremony, after he's partied wildly in front of everyone, and his wife, Michal, who was watching from the window, sees him, and she's very, very upset. And we have to remember that Michal was, the, was born into royalty. Her father was the King Shaul, and she sees David acting in a way which she saw as beneath his dignity and beneath the dignity of the crown. And she said to him, what kind of a, uh, you know, how she sarcastically said to him, says to him, how honorable were you today, king of Israel, to act like this, to lower yourself in front of the handmaiden and maidens and in front of the slaves and, and, and to degrade yourself like that. You know, you've brought shame upon our kingdom. And David Melech answered and said, no, I would lower myself even more to honor Hashem and I would be more honored in their eyes for doing it, not less. By, lo- by letting go of my own honor and celebrating the arrival of the Aaron, the arrival of the Ark, and celebrating the glorification of God's name, in humbling myself, I actually reach the pinnacle of honor in the eyes of the people because they recognize that none of us are truly great. The only thing that can make us great is our connection to what is genuinely great, which is Hashem. And that's what David Melech taught Michal and what we learn from that story. And uh, in fact, the Rambam, Maimonides, in Halachot of, um, of Yom Tov, when he ta- in the Halachot of Sukkah, actually, when he talks about the celebration of Sukkot and the dancing and the craziness, the festivities that went on in the Beit HaMikdash during the time of Simchat Beit HaShoeva, the time of the celebration of the... Uh, of Sukkot and the Beit HaMikdash, he says that rejoicing in a mitzvah and rejoicing on holidays is really a big avodah. It's a great service. He calls it a great service. And it's very interesting. I actually have the Rambam right here. I just happen to have it. I'll read to you what he says because I think it's a very instructive and very important to, uh, to reflect on it. I've, I've mentioned it in the past, but it's worth revisiting because... He describes it as an avodah. He says it's a great service to, to be joyful in the presence of God. He says, The joy that a person has when they're doing mitzvot or loving God. It's a great service to God. And if you hold yourself back from this joy, you should be punished for that. A person should serve God with joy. And anybody 
who is too arrogant, and he apportions honor to himself, meaning he's attached to his own honor. When he thinks he's too great to have this kind of an engagement and celebrating in the presence of God, he's, he's a sinner and he's a fool. And then, and then he says, in the next part, anybody who lowers himself and he's light with himself, he takes himself lightly in these areas. He is the great person who's really honored. He's really honored. Who's serving God from love. And this is what David Melech said to his wife. That I, could, I would have been even lower than this. And, and, I, and the end of the Pasuk is that in the eyes of the people I would have been honored. The true greatness and the true honor is to celebrate before God. The king David was dancing wildly before Hashem. What does it mean? It means that's the real. That's real greatness. Real greatness is the connect, the full investment, and the full of the energy and the full immerse, uh, you know, immersion of the self in the service of God. And that's why it's called an avodah. It's a service because service means to subordinate oneself to something higher. Service means to put our energies at the. Uh, you know, to put our energies, uh, you know, in the service of a higher purpose. That's what it means to engage in avodah. So a person has a natural resistance to that. A person, when they come, let's say, to a celebration, they have reservations about it. I don't know. I don't want to be embarrassed. I, I, I'm worried about other things. I'm preoccupied. I'm, I'm distracted. I, I can't put my full self into this. And when a person puts their, their full self and all their energy into it and has that, that is the joy the liberation from my smallness that actually elevates me and makes me greater is when I let go of all of those concerns and I am able to give myself fully over to the service of Hashem and celebrating in the presence of Hashem. And then ironically, that is actually what earns me the greatest honor, even in the eyes of other people, because they know, deep down they know that human greatness is all an illusion. The only true greatness is the greatness of God. And the, to the extent that we connect to that greatness, we can partake of it. But to the extent that we pull ourselves back and we try to make our own smallness into the illusion of greatness, it's all just a, it's all falsehood. And this is the, uh, there's a similar concept to that in Perkei Avot, where it says, Who is the honored person? One who honors other people. So a person will say, no, that's not true. A person who goes around honoring other people and he's always deferring to them and he's always taking care of them and he's always putting them first and he's always elevating others. That guy's not going to get honor. That guy's losing honor. He's giving honor to everybody else. Where's his honor going to come from? Where is his, you know, why would he have a superior station if what he's doing all the time is propping up other people? Why would it be? The answer is, that a person who seeks after honor actually lowers himself. He actually makes himself even smaller in that pursuit of honor. The person who's honoring other people is not attached to his own ego. He's not attached to the, he doesn't want the attention. He doesn't want the pedestal. He doesn't want the spotlight. He's looking to make other people feel good about themselves. He's looking to bring out the best in other people. Honoring other people means empowering them so as to bring out the best in them. And But in doing that, and in not focusing on his own 
smaller, more petty interest, he's actually demonstrating something that is truly worthy of honor. And people, the truth of the matter is, people really do respect and honor those who serve others more than anyone else because those who serve others don't need the, uh, the honor that's being bestowed upon them. They don't, they're not looking, they're not trying to position themselves for any kind of honor or special treatment. And that itself is their greatness, that they've given themselves, they're, they're not focused on themselves. They are focused on something higher than themselves, which is helping others, which is caring for others, being concerned for others. Ben Adam Lachaviron, of course, Ben Adam Lamakom, recognizing that every person is a reflection of the image of God and therefore they deserve dignity and, and they deserve respect. This is living really for a higher purpose, and this is something that commands the uh, admiration of others, even though it's counterintuitive, because we might think that, no, by holding myself aloof and holding myself apart and acting like I'm someone special, that's how I'm going to end up gaining the respect of others. But it's not true. It's by giving oneself to a higher purpose and a higher cause that we uh, that we earn that respect. And so that's really the focus, I believe, of Parashat Titzaveh. It's human beings, the human role in the Mishkan. The Mishkan is supposed to be the, a place, the Bet HaMikdash is supposed to be a place that draws attention to the creator of the world, that, that glorifies and sanctifies the name of God in the world. And there's only one part of it that can take away from that uh, from that. Goal, and that's the human being. The human element is the uh, is the wild card because the human beings can can corrupt any institution if they're given the opportunity. And unfortunately, in history, oftentimes the uh, the Beit Hamikdash was corrupted by Kohanim that were unscrupulous and they had the wrong values. They were materialistic, or they were honor seeking. They had the flaw, the exact flaws that the Beit Hamikdash is trying to get us away from. And so they are the wild card. So what the Torah does is it tries to. Uh, to give mitzvot to the Kohanim that will help them recognize and therefore help everyone else recognize what true greatness is, what true royalty is, what true superiority is, which is serving God. It is lechavot ultifaret. It is honoring and glorif- glorifying the Kohen. But why does it honor and glorify the Kohen? Because it focuses him on fulfilling that transcendent purpose. And that inspires everyone who comes to the Beit HaMikdash to see that. And if the Kohanim recognize that and really internalize that idea that they're supposed to be representing to everyone, so then they accomplish the purpose of the Beit HaMikdash you know, successfully. They're able to, be, to blend into the Beit HaMikdash. They're not looking for people to attend to them and focus on them. They're simply, they see themselves as instruments with a purpose. Like we said before, Kleya Mikdash Vaovdimbo. That uh, the uh, the section in the in Maimonides Halacha when he talks about the Kohanim is the vessels of the Ko- of the Beit Hamikdash and those who serve in it. The people are also vessels. They're fulfilling a higher purpose. They're they're instrumental to a purpose. When they work that way, the Kohanim blend beautifully into the Beit Hamikdash. And you notice that the fabrics from which the Kohen Gadol's clothing uh, uh, is made are the same fabrics from which the entire Beit HaMikdash is made, and the entire Mishkan is made, because it's supposed to literally blend in and be of one purpose with the Mishkan. It's when the Kohen Gadol or the other Kohanim try to step out of that and try to seek some individual attention or some in, gain some individual advantage or gain some, uh, or, or, be, or be the recipients of some individual uh, uh, praise or honor. That's when they break away from, and they disrupt and they defile what the purpose of the Mishkan is and what the Beit HaMikdash is. 
And that's why the Kohanim need kapara. They're always, they always need atonement. They always need to renew their commitment to the real purpose of the, of the service in the Beit HaMikdash. But they're an example for us. We oftentimes get caught up in things. We lose sight of what the real purpose is. We lose sight of what we're really involved in an activity for and we start getting caught up in our ego and caught up in our own interests and, our, and, and trying to angle for our own advantage and we step back for a second and say, wait a second, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this because there's a higher purpose, there's a higher reason uh, that, I, that I got involved to begin with and I want to make sure that that purpose is achieved in its fullest form. I don't want my own personal limitations and flaws to obscure or to obstruct the attainment of the goal for which this whole uh, project was initiated. We do this all the time when we get caught up in things and our egos get in the way. The Kohanim are supposed to be examples of how a person can overcome that and how true greatness is the give, getting away from the self and giving of the self to a higher and uh, ennobling purpose, the purpose of serving Hashem. So Bezrat Hashem, next week we will uh, be learning Parshat Kitisa, the unfortunate and tragic uh, golden calf is part of that, and uh, I hope you'll join us for that shiur.